Would you look at verse 6 again? But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Now, I want to be in that we, don't you? Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Now, I want to be his house. I want to be included in this we. And he gives the evidence that we are with this evidential if. If we hold fast and don't let go. And here's the three words that I want us to dwell on. The confidence. You know, you or I can be as insecure as the day is long and still have this confidence. This is not a fleshly confidence. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing, everything can be bad, but you can still rejoice in this. Of the hope, the Firm unto the end, confidence and rejoicing in hope. That's what I've entitled this message, confidence and rejoicing in hope. Now let's go back up to verse 1. Wherefore, and I love the way he addresses believers. This includes every believer without exception. Wherefore, holy brethren. That describes every believer. Holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly calling, being called by God. Consider, ponder, give thought to the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And here's how we're to consider him. We're to consider, first of all, his faithfulness. Who was faithful? To him that appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, what was he appointed to do in his utter fidelity to do what was appointed to him to do? What was appointed to him to do? Well, we read in the opening chapter of the New Testament, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what God appointed him to do, and he was faithful to do it. As also Moses was faithful in all 
his house. Moses was faithful to what God appointed him to do. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but look what he says in verse 3. For this man, this one we're considering, Christ Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our profession, this man, the apostle, the sent one, the one God sent to us, the high priest, the one who brings us to God of our profession, Christ Jesus, this man was counted more was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And it's like Moses gets 1% and he gets 99. Doesn't work that way at all. He was counted more worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. Now you have a beautiful house. Does the house that is so beautiful get any glory for its building. No. It didn't do anything. The builder. Builded it. And he gets. All of the glory. None goes to the house. All goes to the builder. Of the house. Verse 4. For every house. Is builded by some man. But he that built all things is God. Now every house we see, somebody built it. It didn't just come up by chance. Somebody planned it. Somebody executed the building of it and finished it. They did it all. But you know who did everything? He that built all things is God. Verse 5. And Moses... Verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be after spoken, talking about when he wrote down the law and all the Pentateuch. Now, in Moses' faithfulness, he wasn't given any creative license, was he? He was not allowed to ad lib. He gave exactly what God told him to do and say exactly as God said it. Look in Hebrews chapter 8. Moses, by grace, was faithful. Verse 5. Who served under the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God. When he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. He wasn't allowed to uh, fill in the empty space that he thought. He didn't, wasn't allowed to ad lib. He was to make it exactly, precisely as God told him to make it. That was his faithfulness. He simply transcribed what God told him to say. But Christ, verse 6, as a son over his own house, not a servant, but a son. <laughs> the servant abideth not forever, but the son abideth forever. Oh, the son, not merely a servant like Moses was, but a son. think of the difference between Moses and Jesus Christ infinite in the difference. 
He's the son. Now, let's go and read him. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, here's the three words I want us to consider. Confidence, rejoicing, and hope. And we're going to have to begin with hope because if you don't know what the hope is, talking about confidence in that hope or rejoicing in that hope is fruitless. So we got to begin with the hope. Paul said in Ephesians 4, there's one hope. He speaks of the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, what is hope? Hope is a confident expectation with regard to the future right now. Right now, while I'm speaking to you, I have a confident expectation with regard to the future. And I have that confident expectation right now. That's what hope is. It's, it's something to do with believing something you can't see. Turn to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Keep your finger there in Hebrews 1 and turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 24. For we are saved by hope. Now that's strong language. Hope is a feeling. I'm not saved by the feeling I have in the hope I experience. I'm saved by the object of that hope. We're saved by Hope. We're saved by the object of that hope. We're not saved apart from hope, but look what he says about hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now here, here is the believer's hope. I have a hope with regard to judgment day. When I stand before God in judgment, and what a thing to think about, to actually stand before the living God. I'm going to stand before him. Here's what my hope is. My hope is when I stand before God, he is going to say to me, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And I guarantee you, somebody right now is cringing, thinking, how could he say that to me? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't feel like anything I've done is I've done well. Um, how could he say that to me? Because my hope is that I am justified by what Christ did and everything that I have done is good, right, holy, just, and true. That's what justification is. I stand before God. It's better than being forgiven. It's better than being. Now, being forgiven is great. No one would uh, 
discountenance that or diminish that in any way. Being forgiven is great, but this is better. There's nothing to forgive me for. I stand before God without guilt, perfectly just. That is what Christ accomplished on Calvary's tree. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Now, that's my hope with regard to the future. I have a hope that God is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I have a hope that right now, as he looks to me, he sees someone without sin. Christ put it away. Now, what a hope! What a hope! And you know what else I hope? I hope that everything that happens to me between then and now, I have a hope that it's all, every bit of it, is working together for my good and his glory. Everything. There's not one thing that's happened in my life that can be viewed independently of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Not one. Everything that has taken place is working together for my good and his glory. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now what a hope. It's the hope of Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now what a hope that is. Right now God's for me. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him also freely give us all things? There's nothing. Here's my hope. There's nothing to prevent him from freely giving me all things in his son. He goes on to say, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that can condemn? It's Christ that died. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Now all this hope that I have of being just before God, I can't see it. Can you see, can you look within your heart and say, yeah, there's no sin there? Nothing but perfect faith? No, you can't see that. But you believe it by faith. That's the hope, hope that is seen is not hope. What a man sees, he doesn't have any reason to hope in it. So he's talking about the hope the believer has. A, a believer has a hope that an unbeliever just does not have. Now, there are a lot of people and I'm going to quote this scripture from the Lord. There are a lot of people who have an ill-grounded hope. A hope that the Savior expressed in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Many, many, not just a few, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, the repetition of his name. You ought to know us, all the good things we've done. Many shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? In your name have we not cast out demons? And in your name have we not done many wonderful works? 
They thought they had what was needed. And they're amazed at what's going on right now. They, they had no idea. And the Lord says, Then shall I say unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. All those wonderful works that you thought were wonderful, many and wonderful, they're nothing but works of iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Now, <coughs> he obviously knew who they were, but he said, I've never known you as mine. I've never known you to believe on me. I've never, I don't know you. Now, that is frightening to think of that, uh, that that will, in fact, take place. But that being said, how wonderful it is to have a well-grounded hope. To where I'm not going to hear that on Judgment Day. Don't you love that hymn we sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less? Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You believe that? Our hope is him. Now, the second thing I want us to consider is the confidence of that hope. Now, the confidence that I'm talking about is not um, what people would call self-confidence. I mean, it's good to have confidence that you can do something right and that the Lord has enabled you to do it, but that's not what I'm talking about, or that's not what the writer of the Hebrews is talking about when he's talking about the confidence of that hope. I'm, I'm not talking about even the feeling of full assurance. I'm fully assured that I'm saved. I'm fully assured that, you know, as soon as I say something like that, I start questioning it. As soon as I say it, I know I'm saved. As soon as I say that, what it is, I'm looking within at that time. I'm looking for some kind of reason in myself that makes me think I'm saved. And when I do that, I start getting shaky. So I'm not talking about that kind of um, confidence. The word confidence here is the word that is usually translated boldness. Boldness. The boldness that this hope gives. Now what is that all about? The word means Fearless confidence, cheerful courage, the boldness of this hope. Now, I want to give you some scriptures. I'm going to quote them. You can write them down if you want. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, Peter and John had been preaching the gospel. They could get in trouble. They were getting ready to be arrested. And after they preached, we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. The fearless confidence, the cheerful confidence, the courage, the assurance, the boldness, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't have any worldly reason to have this boldness. This was, well, 
there's nothing to give an account for this. There's no explanation for this. They're unlearned. They're ignorant. They, what makes them have this boldness? Well, here's what it says. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That gives boldness. Been with Jesus. Oh, the boldness that comes as a result of that. The fearlessness in the face of the danger that put them in. They still had boldness because they'd been with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness or boldness of speech. See, we have such hope, this, this hope that I've expressed, this hope that everything God requires of me, he looks to his son for. This hope that I'm complete in Christ and I need nothing else. This hope that all God requires of me, I have it. There's nothing missing, there's nothing lacking. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete. Nothing lacking. You can't get any more loved. You can't get any more saved. You can't get any more accepted. You can't get any more perfect in God's sight than you are right now. Now, seeing we have this kind of hope, we use great boldness, plainness of speech. I don't have merely the minimum God requires. I don't have the minimum, min, minimum requirement uh, to get in. I've got the maximum. Bold shall I stand, the songwriter said. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved from these I am, from sin's tremendous curse and shame. The only thing that keeps you from being bold is thinking there's sin there. But if there's no sin... What boldness we have in this hope. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, if you don't have a King James Version, it will not say by the faith of him. It will say by faith in him. That's why I love the King James Version. Now, I, I, the King James Version is a, translated, is a translation. I'm not the only perfectly inspired is the original languages. I realize that. King James is a translation, but it's the best translation. And here's an example why. I know people argue against that, but I don't care whether you do or not. I still believe it's the, the uh, best translation. And particularly because it says we're saved by the faith of him. We have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now here's where my boldness is. The faith of him. Not my faith in him. The faith of him. What boldness I have if it's the faith of Access, access into the very presence of God by the faith of him. Boldness by the faith of him. 
Not boldness in myself or my faith or my ability in any way. But this access we have, this confidence with boldness is by the faith of him. I don't have boldness by my faith, but the faith of him. Listen to this scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said, I live, but Christ liveth in I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for. Hebrews 4, 16. Since you're in Hebrews, go ahead and turn there and look at this one with me. <clears throat> Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now somebody says, how could he be touched if he never sinned? He, did, he never sinned. Even when he was made sin, he never sinned. But he experienced all the feelings of shame and being forsaken that is involved in sin. And any feeling of infirmity that you have He's had it much more acutely. And he's touched. He is moved to sympathy by the feeling of our infirmities. What a glorious Savior we have. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come how? Boldly. Not groveling. Not cringing, but to come into his presence with boldness. How? How can I come into his presence with boldness? Well, let me give you another scripture to show you how that works. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness. We can come boldly now, we'll even have boldness in the day of judgment. And here's how, because as he is, so are we in this world right now. As he is, he's holy. He's beautiful. He's perfect. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether righteous. Everything he is. As he is, so are we in this world. Hence, we can come boldly. And where's we're coming boldly to? A throne of grace. Now, if it was coming boldly to the throne of how good I've been in and of myself... I couldn't come with boldness, but come into this throne of pure, free, saving grace. We can come with 
cheerful confidence. If it really is all of grace, if by grace you are saved, I come with boldness, cheerful confidence, knowing I'll be accepted in the beloved. Listen to this scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Now that's talking about the holy of holies. You remember in the Old Testament, only one person could come into the Holy of Holies. That was the great high priest. And that was once a year, not without blood. We have boldness right now to enter into the very Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus. There's the boldness. The blood of Jesus. That new and living way. I love the way the writer to the Hebrews calls the blood of Jesus the new that means freshly slaughtered. That means it's always poignant. It's always real. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's not something that just happened a long time ago. It's, it's just as powerful. And it's living. It's not bringing the blood of a dead animal. It's the living Christ bringing his own precious blood. Having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Does his blood and nothing else. You know, we when we sing that hymn, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus, I love to sing that hymn because all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the only way I can come with boldness is through his precious blood. Oh, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boldness. And if I have any understanding of this hope, not only will I come with boldness, I'll come with rejoicing. Look in our text, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is the Son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now he talks about the rejoicing of the hope. Now this, this word rejoicing, there's two words uh, that... Uh, are used in the New Testament to, uh, that are translated rejoicing. One has more to do with feeling of joy and happiness. And I like that. I, I'd like to feel joy and happiness without uh, any intermission. I don't, but I'd like to. But when he's talking about this other word, we ought to feel, re feel rejoicing all the time because God's on the throne, shouldn't we? Should never murmur, should never worry. God's on the throne. We ought to feel that way. Um, but this word rejoicing is not the word about the feeling of joy and happiness. This is the word boasting. Boasting. Glorying in. Now, if we know anything about this hope, we boast in this hope. We glory in this hope. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He said, but of him are you in Christ Jesus who of God. Now listen to this scripture. I know you've heard it a lot. I pretend like you've never heard this before. Of him are you in Christ Jesus. The only way you're going to get in Christ Jesus is for him to put you there. Somebody says, how do you get in Christ? Well, he put you there. And if you're in him, you'll know he put you there. And the evidence is 
faith in Christ. You look to him only. Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now here's what I'm boasting in. The wisdom I have in Christ where God can have fellowship with me. God can embrace me and desire communion with me because in Christ, I have the very wisdom of God. In Christ, I have perfect righteousness. I boast in that. I glory in that. In Christ, I have sanctification. I have holiness. I'm one of these holy brethren. He is my holiness. He's made unto me holiness. I boast in that. I glory in that. He's made unto me redemption. I've been redeemed. And it's accomplished. When he said it is finished, all my sin was washed away. I stand before God without guilt. And I boast in that. I glory in that. The one who used this word most effectively was the Apostle Paul. But let me finish that. Um, first, um, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth. There's the word. He that glorieth. He that boasts. He that has confidence in. Let him glory in Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I'll boast in my infirmities. Turn with me there. Let me give these last two or three scriptures and I'll be brief with them. Paul said in verse 6, for though I would desire to glory, everybody's going to want to glory in something. Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now, for lest any man should think of me above that which he thinketh of me, or that which he seeth me to be, or he heareth of me. Lest somebody think too highly of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. You know, he said in the same chapter, God brought me into heaven. Whether in the body, out of the body, I can't tell. God knows. I was brought into the third heaven. And I heard unspeakable words which were not lawful for a man to utter. And I know, I know myself enough to know that if I was the one brought into heaven, I'd be thinking, he picked me over you. Somebody says, I wouldn't be thinking that. Well, I'm happy for you, but I know me enough to know the way I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, I'm given some kind of special privilege that other people haven't been given. Well, how is that combated? Unless I should be, verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure now it is pointless to try to 
figure out what that thorn is. Nobody knows. But it was a thorn in his flesh, and it was very painful. Very painful. You know, a thorn in the flesh is painful, isn't it? When's the last time you got pricked by a thorn? It hurts. And it was painful. He says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. You're going to have to be satisfied to be saved by sheer free grace. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, what all that means, I don't know. But uh, I know he wasn't glorying in the commission of sin, uh, but he was glorying in his utter weakness that caused the power of Christ to rest on him. He gloried in his infirmities. And then in Galatians chapter 6, where he said, God forbid that I should glory. God forbid that I should have confidence in. God forbid that I should find as a ground of rejoicing in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I glory in. The cross. What Christ accomplished on the cross. The full glory of God. The full revelation of God. The complete salvation of all of his people. Oh, the cross is the most godlike thing God ever did. And I glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom? Not by the cross, but by whom? You can't separate the person of Christ and the cross of Christ. By whom? The world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now back to our text. We'll close up with this. Hebrews chapter 3. Christ as a son over his own house, verse 6, whose house are we if we hold fast and don't let go of the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. You never graduate, you never progress past glorying in the cross. And if you do, You've left the cross. You've left Christ. You never move an inch beyond glorying in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand this. Perseverance isn't staying religious. You know, have you, how many times have you known people who got religion and they go uh, back to the world and they show no interest in religion anymore? They act like utter worldlings with no care for the things of God. And you say, well, they didn't persevere. Well, they didn't persevere, but they never were there in the first place. Um, perseverance is continuing. If the Lord gives me another 20 years and I die when I'm 83 years old, 
I hope to die looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, and nowhere else. Let us hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the salvation that's in him. Lord, we ask that we might be given this boldness, this confidence in the hope. We ask that you would give us this glorying, this rejoicing in the hope. We ask that we might be able, by your grace, to hold it fast, firm unto the end, until we enter glory and see our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.